Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line! Let's go on to what we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, and this is an episode where it's going to be just me talking about subject. And the subject that I'm going to be talking about is marking. And the reason I have chosen marking is because I... Well, something which people in my own gun dog class at the moment are having a few difficulties with. And so it's kind of fresh in my mind for that reason. It's also, I think, a really important subject. And it's one that, in the UK at least, often gets overlooked. People don't really focus on it in a really sort of um, determined way and in a concentrated way, like they might focus on other subjects. So I think it, it warrants a little bit of extra attention. I do think um, the places to go for marking resources, whether they're videos or uh, drills or books, whatever, is US retriever training. Those folks have marking nailed, as it were. Um, So that's kind of where I would look to for more information and and more detail. Um, Anyway, so let's talk about it a little bit more. So what is marking? Some of you might not know what it is. It's not the dog cocking their leg up something. Um, it is, well, it is that as well, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, it is uh, when a dog is using their eyes rather than their nose to see the retrieve falling through the air and landing on the ground. So marking is a skill which the dog needs to develop. And the skill is the skill of watching the retrieve in the air and watching the spot on the ground where it falls. If the grass is really, really short, the dog might be able to see the retrieve lying on the ground and if the grass is even just ankle length or a little bit high the dog will see the retrieve in the air but they won't be able to see see it on the ground so that means they have to see the spot on the grass where it fell and they have to keep that spot in their mind and run to it when they're sent so that's the skill that we need to develop now why what's all that about because there's two approaches to retrieve really because so marking is one approach there's a retrieve dog goes gets it they see it and they get it Um, and the other approach is the dog doesn't see it 
or chooses not to see it or decides to use their nose instead for whatever reason. And they just hunt up the whole area. They just run around everywhere and run around everywhere until they find it and smell it, basically. They find it with their nose. That's the alternative. And so which of these approaches do we like better? Well, if best, if we can see, if a dog can see the retrieve, we want them to use their eyes and go and get it. And the reason for that is it's just faster. So this is about ethics and it, it's about uh, being, you know, respecting game and it's about being humane. So it's about getting that game, which has been shot, in the bag as quickly as possible so it reduces the suffering which the game is exposed to. It also means there's less time for the game to run away and hide behind a bush um, and then be harder to find because there's been more time for the game to escape and then we actually end up with less game retrieved and the game dies an agonizing death over days because it wasn't found. So this is, you know, this is an ethics issue and speed is important and the fastest way to bring back a mark retrieve is by actually marking it rather than using the nose. There is a time and a place for the use of noses on retrieves, which we'll probably get to in some other episode, but when there is you know a bird or or a dummy in the air we want the dog to use their eyes and not their nose so let's think about the problems that can arise so problems that arise typically arise when the dog um, starts to use their nose and they, they put their nose down to the ground start to run around use their nose and then they find the dummy now finding the dummy is very reinforcing because it's the whole goal of what we're doing and a retrieve is reinforcing for most dogs and so what the dog just did before they found the dummy is going to get reinforced so if the dog found the dummy by using their eyes that's going to get reinforced if the dog found the dummy by running around everywhere and using their nose then that's going to get reinforced so we want to make sure that the habit that we develop from the very beginning is the use of the dog's eyes and not the dog's nose when we're running marks now, there are some breed differences here. So some breeds, I've, I've particularly found that spaniels tend to have more of an inclination to use their noses than their eyes. So you might need to do a little bit more work to get a spaniel using their eyes than, say, a retriever. Um, but, you know, that's that's not a reason to give up on it. You just need to put in a little bit more time. Spaniels also won't be working over the same distances as say a retriever or a HPR would be so you will probably be doing your marks considerably shorter but you still want the dog to be developing that skill of using their eyes um, and to be working on that. Once a dog has learnt to use their nose to find retrieves and that habit has become established it's really hard to undo that and to reteach that. We've had some dogs in my classes who in the past have been very um they've really found finding things with their noses has been successful for them in the past and they have they've had a long history of finding retrieves in that way and it's been really difficult to teach them to use their eyes instead of the nose um it almost seems to me as if the eyes as a sense have been um the significance of them in the dog's brain has been reduced and the significance of their nose is so much greater um, and maybe all dogs have a tendency towards that anyway, because we know how powerful dogs' noses are. So all the more reason to put the emphasis on teaching the dog to use eyes when we're first starting to do marked retrieves. So the other thing to say is that the better your dog is at marking, the fewer blind retrieves 
you're going to need to run in for example in trials or when you're working your dog in a shooting environment and the reason for that is you just won't need to handle the dog so the dog sees the thing goes and gets it you don't need to go stop back stop left stop right lost and all that sort of you know the dog just gets it and the dog just does it um and you can probably then be working multiple dogs at once because you know that you know your dogs have marked it and they know what they're doing by themselves they don't need you to handle them um and so everything just works more efficiently so also dogs that have to be handled on marks will lose points in uk test or trials so that's because the dog <clears throat> should have marked it and so you will lose points if your dog has to be handled on a mark so that's that's kind of some background information about marking why it's important um and the main uh way that it, things can go wrong hold the line so let's talk about how to set things up so that it's going to work well for us so we want to kind of start working on this as soon as the clicker retrieve process is finished for sure so as soon as we've got a basic retrieve to hand i'll be talking about the clicker retrieve in future episodes at some point but it's important to start to work on marking quite early on um we can raise puppies up because puppies are quite small sometimes they're quite low to the ground so they can't actually see very much um so one one thing that you can do and us retriever trainers do this quite often is you can pick the pup up just by its front paws so its back paws are are on the ground and it's almost kind of um on your hooked onto your arm so it's kind of raised up so it can see better basically it can then see a mark more efficiently and effectively and start to develop the skill it's going to need later on it is important to use white dummies when you're developing marking and the reason for that is the more visible the dummy is the more it's going to attract the dog's visual attention and so the easier it's going to be for the dog to learn to mark efficiently now sometimes we can make things even more interesting we can add for example white ribbons or white streamers to the dummy so that that really attracts the dog's attention and sometimes if we've got a dog which is finding it difficult to mark the marking a bit short and we really need to flag up this literally flag up this retrieve then we can attach some streamers to the dummy um, we can also use just more noticeable dummies so sometimes docking dummies are bigger something which is going to really attract the dog's attention in some way it's important when we're throwing dummies for the dog that we throw them nice and high so there's an arc to the throw so that way it's going to be in the air longer it's going to be more visible as it falls we don't want to throw it kind of flat and fast in a kind of hor- almost horizontal way out into the air so the dog isn't going to notice it very well we want to make sure our dummy thrower is throwing it nice and high so that we see it we want to make sure also that we are throwing on very short grass at first so the dog can see the dummy on the ground at first so that's very important don't try and move on to any sort of cover at all until you've got this working really well on short grass ensure you have a helper because you can't really train by yourself so you do need someone to throw for you and sometimes people get stuck here because they you know it's sometimes it's difficult to find someone else to help you and so you end up going out by yourself quite a lot and you either don't practice marking enough or at all or you try and throw retrieves yourself for your dog but there's some problems to that so there's a limit to how far you can throw uh, a dummy literally you know there's a limit to how far everyone can throw a dummy uh, it's not going to be anywhere near as far as a dog needs to practice marking even if you have 
you know, amazingly bionic arms, it's not going to be far enough. Um, and secondly, the other problem that can start to happen is a dog starts to look up at you and at your dummy before you throw it. So um, we don't want to encourage the dog to look up at us. We want the dog to look out in front at the, you know, what it, that's where they're going to be looking when they're working. They're not going to be looking up at us for the mark. And so we want to encourage them to look out as well for marks. So if we keep throwing them, we're encouraging the dog to look up at us. Um, so some solutions here, you can get a training buddy. You can get someone that you, maybe someone who is at a similar level to you and they also have a dog and you can meet up with them. And... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me and apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. And you can stand opposite each other and you can throw marks for each other. You can either, you know, do it one dog at a time, so put a dog in the car and work one dog and then switch over and work the other dog, or you can be practicing, you know, having your dog on a lead if necessary at your side while you throw dummies for your partner um, and working on steadiness for your own dog and watching another dog work as well. So both of these things can be uh, useful ideas, um, but you are going to need to uh, have a helper. You can recruit a family member. Small children can be quite efficient throwers of dummies, so pay them pocket money. Uh, but you need someone to be throwing for you. Hold the line. There is a conflict between steadiness and marking. And this is a really important point to flag up. So in the UK particularly, we are very obsessed with steadiness and we see it as being ultra ultra important that the dog is steady and so we put a lot of emphasis on that from a very early age often and sometimes there's fallout from that so even if we're not using punishment there can be fallout and the fallout as far as marking goes is that if we're trying to work on steadiness so there's a mark which has been thrown we are trying to help the dog practice being steady. What we tend to do is wait and wait too long just to make sure the dog really is steady. And then often what will happen is the dog will look up at us 
because the dog will be like well can i go and get that yet and sometimes at first particularly if we are new trainers we we seem to quite like that because it really demonstrates the dog is steady and we you know they're looking up at us that they're very much under control so we really quite like that and then we send the dog and so what we're doing is we're then reinforcing the dog for looking up at us for that permission to go and so just before the dog goes whatever the dog has done is being reinforced because we're sending them so we want to make sure that what the dog is doing is something we like and we don't like the dog looking up at us to be sent personally i don't like it anyway us retriever trainers really don't like it either some folks in the uk think it's okay or like it or want it my argument for this is think about marking and by the way there is lots of this that you can play with yourself and you can go out to the field without your dog and with a friend and try some of this for yourself okay so get your friend to throw something at you know 50 yards away from you and make sure you can't see it on the ground then look away at something to your left or right look away at something else then look back and try and find that thing so do it that way first then you can try exactly the same thing your friend throws something for you and you don't look away you keep staring at that spot and you just walk out to that spot now which way did you find it easier to find the the thing that was thrown the retrieve i can guarantee that not looking away and just walking right out to that spot is way easier and you will be far more accurate using that method um you know another analogy is something that probably all of us with dogs well definitely all of us with dogs have done which is trying to find a dog poo after you've looked away so your dog's doing a poo you have to get the poo bags out you know that if you look down at your hands to fiddle around with the poo bags when you look back up if your dog's finished their poo and run off it's going to be much harder to find that poo than if you just keep staring keep staring at that spot where you saw your dog doing the poo keep staring at that spot and walk to that spot that is way easier to find your dog's poo so this is exactly the same concept for your dog as well so if the dog doesn't look away they keep staring at that spot and they just run right to it they're going to be far more accurate in in terms of finding it and the amount of time that they take to find it they will need much less hunting up when they get to the, the area of fall because they will have marked it much more accurately so essentially we don't want the dog to look up at us before they're sent we want them to see it be very steady but keep staring at it and then go so the problem is that when we start to work on steadiness and we start to extend the amount of time the dog is waiting for the dog at some point if we wait long enough the dog is going to look up at us i can almost guarantee it the dog's going to look up at us if we wait long enough so we don't want to wait too long at first because we need to build up that habit of staring at that thing and then being sent staring at that thing at that spot where the retrieve fell and then being sent and we need to really consolidate that as a well established habit before we wait too long in terms of the steadiness side of things we are going to make sure that we get the right sequence that we want before we send the dog because we are reinforcing that sequence when we send them all the line we want to make sure we extend distance gradually on our marks so we want to start at a distance the dog can manage so you know if we're working at 40 yards say make sure the dog can do retrieves thrown around the dummy thrower in any direction at 40 yards on clear cover remember and then we might increase that distance and make sure the dog again can complete the full range of throws at the new distance before increasing it again and so on 
Now, there is a drill called, which I call the six-point drill. Um, that's, there's a whole chapter, by the way, on marking in my book, which is coming out in August. And there's a diagram of the six-point drill in the book. And essentially, it is just a sequence of throws around the dummy thrower so that the dog gets to practice all the possible directions and angles of throw which can come from the dummy thrower. One of the things that's important to talk about in terms of the, the dog's learning is something called depth of field. So if you imagine a dummy thrower standing in the middle of a clock face and behind the dummy thrower is 12 o'clock and in front of the dummy thrower is 6 o'clock. So to capture the sort of essence of what depth of field is about, it's about the difference between the dummy thrower throwing a dummy to, say, 4.30 or throwing a dummy to, say, 1.30. So the dog's got to be able to judge how deep in the field of vision the dummy is is being thrown to. And this comes from experience and it comes from practice and it comes from the dog kind of getting familiar with the different pictures of the dummy being thrown in the air. Of course, though, we're not just going to think about each individual retrieve because there's a history to all of this. And, you know, there's a there's a future and there's a past when we're training our dogs. And so if we are running a marking drill, the location of the previous retrieve and where that retrieve fell on the ground may influence the dog in terms of where they run for the subsequent retrieve. So this is where it all gets a bit complicated because I'm trying to describe complicated visual things with words. So I hope you're all following me here. But imagine you've got the dummy thrower still, 12 o'clock is still behind them and 6 o'clock is still in front of them. Now let's imagine that the dummy thrower threw a dummy to say 4.30 and the dog did that retrieve perfectly, brought it back to the handler. That retrieve's done. That retrieve's now in the past, we could say. Next, the dummy thrower is going to throw a dummy to say 1.30. So when the dog is sent for that 1.30 dummy, which is further away from the handler and dog, the dog's going to have to run quite close to where the 4.30 dummy fell. And the presence in their mind, the, the memory of that previous retrieve, can influence the line that they take and how they run the subsequent retrieve. So, for example, if they're a very inexperienced dog, they might actually decide to go and check out the previous location of fall, even though there's nothing there now. They might go and think, oh, well, there was something here before. Maybe there's something here this time, if they haven't marked it very well at all. Um, a more experienced dog even might sort of be pulled in a kind of banana-y shape towards the previous retrieve, not actually going to it, but their line isn't a dead straight line as you might expect them to run. There might be a bit of a banana-y thing going on to it. So we could say in that situation that the previous location of fall has suction for the dog. And suction's a great word which um, comes from US retriever training. Uh, Just to kind of sum up simply is to say that we would say here the previous location of fall is kind of sucking the dog off that line. And the reason that the line isn't straight is because in the dog's brain, there's an understanding of that location of previous fall, which is making it not be straight. So um, that's basically a bit about depth of field and a bit about the influence of other retrieves, previous retrieves in the past and the ways that those have been marked on the current retrieve that's being run. And there's a lot of this which is about experience and about the dog just gaining experience, doing multiple marks, throwing at multiple angles. Um, and so the dog learns variations on these visual pictures of, of what it looks like and, and what that means in terms of finding the dummy on the ground. Hold the line.
So with this kind of theme in mind, we're onto the subject of when do you progress things, when do you make them harder, and when do you make things easier, and when do you keep it the same? So I do want to caution against, for too long, making it too easy. That means throwing them too short, um, too visible. Um, and the reason for that is, well, I've had some dogs through my classes that, for example, for a long time, have only experienced very short retrieves. Sometimes they are, well, they've previously done competition obedience, and so they're used to retrieves consisting of about as far as you can throw a dumbbell. And that's what they think a retrieve is. And getting the, the idea in the dog's brain that a retrieve can be way further than that. And, you know, they really have to use their eyes to look into a different sort of, at a di- different sort of distance. Um, that can be quite difficult to get across to, to dogs with a long history of short retrieves. I also think that we sometimes get dogs that are just really clever and really smart and they learn really, really quickly and they pick things up really, really fast. And if with these dogs, we again stick for too long for that individual dog at a short distance, then again, that distance seems to get programmed into the dog. Um, And, you know, it can be, for example, sometimes we get ultra, ultra clever working Labradors. And if for too long, maybe because the owner's working on the delivery part of the retrieve, Um, So they're working on some other aspect of it and they don't want to increase the distance until they fix this other aspect of it. And so for too long, the retrieve gets practiced at a short distance. Then sometimes that can get built in and that can become part of the dog's concept of what marking a retrieve is, that short distance. So don't do that. Don't stick for too long. As soon as you see that your dog is being successful marking, you need to be increasing the distance and working within the parameters of what the dog can be successful with. And this is always the case with whatever... Whatever it is you're training, whatever dog sport it is, you always want to make sure that your dog is successful the vast majority of the time. You want to make sure that you can do a pretty perfect six-point drill on clear cover up to about 80 yards before you then move to light cover. And when you do move to light cover, um, you will need to reduce the distance quite a lot. So at that point, the dog will see the dummy in the air, but they won't be able to see it on the ground. So that's like the next step up. So you want to make sure that you reduce the distance when you're at that point and then progress away again hold the line if we see any hunting around we're going to start to make the retrieve much shorter so we can bring the dummy thrower much closer if we want to try something before we do that we can throw a few more dummies to the exact same location so we can sort of use the dog's knowledge of the previous location of fall by throwing the next dummy to the same place and the next dummy to the same place and the next dummy to the same place and so the dog then gets an opportunity to match together the picture of dummy in the air and where it lands on the floor and so the dog's brain starts to connect together these ideas and when we see the dog starting to be successful and starting to go straight to that place and find the dummy then we can move on and throw it in a different direction so using a different angle on the six point drill Hold the line. Now there is one more thing to talk about, which is what to do when we don't want the dog to get a retrieve. So when the retrieve is not for this specific dog, maybe it's for another dog, or maybe no one's getting it, whatever. It's not for your dog. So with our kind of marking system that we've talked about earlier, we would have the dog, the the retrieve goes through the air, the dog stares at the location of fall. So we've got the dog staring like some kind of heat-seeking missile fixed onto the spot on the ground where the retrieve fell now ideally if we don't say anything the dog should just keep staring at that spot because who knows they might be sent for it 
So we need a way to tell the dog, right, that's not for you. So stop looking at it now and maybe look around for the next mark. Um, so to begin with, with puppies and young dogs, I would say leave and we would teach them the leave cue. So it's pretty easy to teach. You just say leave while the dog is looking at where the dummy fell. And if the dog didn't leave, you would put a treat on their nose and you would encourage them to disengage. You would click when the dog looks away and shows a sign of having disengaged from that retrieve and then you would give them a treat. Now, it's very important that the dog doesn't look away first. So remember what we talked about before. We want the dog to keep staring at the spot until we say leave or send the dog. We don't want the dog to keep staring at the spot and then by themselves look at us. And sometimes people try and fudge this. So sometimes the dog looks at the spot, looks away by themselves up at the handler and the handler goes leave and gives the dog a treat. Well, you can't fudge time. Like We can't make past become future and present. You know What happened then, the sequence of events was that the dog looked away and then we said leave. So we are basically teaching the dog and then we reinforced. So we're basically teaching the dog to look away first before we've said anything, to look away by themselves. And that's what we don't want. So we don't want the dog to look away by themselves. So we would not reinforce that if that did occur. And we would make a little note of it that we might need to send the dog sooner next time or work on what's happening so that the dog goes and keeps staring at that thing before they've gone. Um, So the correct sequence, just to go through it again, is the dummy is thrown, the dog stares at the location where they saw the dummy fall, and they keep staring until they're sent or until you say leave and then they look away and then you can click and treat them for looking away now once your dog's got the idea of leave and is doing all of this fine you can start to make your leave cue a bit more subtle particularly if you have a retriever because if you start saying leave really loudly to your dog then you may get marked down you may lose points for for Um, loud handling unnecessary words said to your dog and commands said to your dog and all this sort of stuff so you want to make your leave cue non-verbal and you want to make it as minimal as possible so for example it might just be a slight step backwards like half a step backwards it might just be one pat on the left side of your leg it's going to be something really 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 small which no one almost no one would notice apart from you and your dog Um, and the way that you would do that is you would do the new cue first and then the old cue so, for example, you would pat your dog, pat, sorry, not pat your dog, pat your leg and then say leave and then click and treat. So it depends on your testing system, um, what your plans are for competition, what's permitted, where you are competing in terms of what cues you're allowed to give. Um, so it's definitely worth checking that out. But there will be something, no matter how small and minimal and nonverbal that you can do to communicate to your dog in a way that you and your dog both understand that that's not a retrieve for them without shouting leave at the top of your voice. So there will be a solution. Hold the line. Okay, so now it's time for a training question. So here's our training question. It's from Lucy in Hertfordshire. Uh, Lucy in Hertfordshire says, Joe, I love your podcast. It's amazing. Thank you very much. Um, she says, I have a young Vizsla I've just started doing memory retrieves with. I throw the dummy and I walk away from it and turn around to send the dog. But often the dog won't go when I send her. She just sits there. She does marked retrieves fine. This is only happening on memories. What can I do? Right. So uh, this is 
quite common, particularly if you move on a little bit too fast for your own particular dog's level of confidence with, with memories. So the first thing to say is you want to reduce the distance. Now, this is going to sound a bit a bit bonkers, but literally reducing the distance down to just two or three steps at first is all you need to do. So think about the idea of a memory as a concept. And the concept is you see the mark and then something else happens and then you get sent for it. Um, and it's the something else happening before you're sent for it that gets more involved and longer progressively. So the further away we walk, the more time elapses from when we threw it and the more stuff the dog is looking at and smelling and blah, blah, thinking. I don't know who knows what dogs think, but you know, the more stuff is happening before the dog is sent. So if we want to simplify this, the first way we can simplify it is to massively reduce the distance. So if we just get this all working perfectly at two or three steps, then we can progress backwards away from there. So firstly, reduce the distance and think about the concept of a memory. Secondly, use the same cue that you use on your marked retrieves for now. So I know that um, I like to think about memories as preparation for doing blind retrieves, which they are. And so eventually we'll probably be using our um, cue for blinds when we do memories. But obviously the dog has no understanding of this cue yet and also has no understanding of what a memory is yet. And so I think we can help sort of we can help the dog's understanding with this if we use the same cue that we use on marked retrieves. So it just helps the dog um, think, oh, yes, this is that thing where I go and get the dummy. Once you've got a memory which is working really well, it's really fluent. The dog really understands it on the cue for marks. You can start to say your cue for blinds. So, which is usually back. So you might just um, just start to say that one day and your dog will probably just, because they know the pattern of a memory so well, they'll just start to go and you won't really need to do anything special to introduce it. But anyway, for now, just use your, your mark cue to begin your memories. Next, um, you want to help the dog feel more confident and there are various different ways that we can do that. So before you throw the dummy... So first, we're going to take out all of the control from this exercise. So memories, one of the reasons that they're so challenging and they're so really great, by the way, for a young dog is because they have lots of components of control in them. So they have some off-lead heel work. They have the dog doing off-lead heel work with the temptation of a dummy, which has been thrown, and they have to resist that temptation and not go and get it. Um, And then they have to sit at your side and wait to be sent for it. So there is a lot of control involved in the memory, and sometimes handlers can start to get a bit um a bit too much and too insistent on the control at the expense of confidence now if you're using force-free methods this is less likely to happen but sometimes people think they're using force-free methods and they're not so for example if you are saying no verbally then you're not using force-free methods and if you're saying heal 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 uh, verbally in a stern voice then you're not using force-free methods. It doesn't matter if you're also clicking and cheating. If you're saying that verbally, um, then you're not being force-free. And dogs relate to the tone in our voice. So if we say heal, like that in a really nice, happy tone of voice, that's one thing. And if we go heal, then that's you know not um, positive sounding, is it? So basically, um, we want to make sure we're not using any aversives at all in our training um, and sometimes if people are using them, particularly to help maintain the control aspect when you're doing memories, then that can really erode the dog's confidence because the dog starts to get worried about getting it wrong. Um, and so that's 
sometimes when they start to not go, it's because they're a bit worried that they might be doing the wrong thing. So we need to take out all all aversives and we need to be using prevention, really. So rather than using aversives to control the dog, we need to be using um, a long line, which the dog is trailing behind them, or a training tab, which they have on their harness, which you can grab at key moments when you're worried the dog might run in. So you want to be using prevention instead of using aversives, verbal aversives even. We can make things even even better for the dog by um, trying to just be silly and fun in this exercise. So um, tease the dog with the dummy before you throw it. You can hold on to the dog's harness to stop them from actually getting it. So again, take out all control here. We're not going to ask the dog to sit, stay or wait while we throw the dummy. Just hold the dog's harness, tease the dog with it. If the dog jumps up in the air for it, that's great. Just let them throw the dummy out in front, walk away, hold on to the harness again if necessary for a few steps, just two or three, remember, turn around, line the dog up and send the dog and be excited and happy and silly and funny and just have fun. Um, once you can do this with in that really silly way without any control, work on the distance. So um, build up to four steps, five steps, eight steps, 10 steps. Um, and you're just working on keeping the dog happy and excited and having fun as you take them away from where you've thrown the dummy. Once you've achieved the distance, then you can put the control in and you'll find it much much easier to um put in the control once you've because you, it's kind of like you can't install the brakes before you've installed the accelerator a car which only brakes is not much use so if you just put stop into a dog like you know don't go for the dummy don't break away from heel position don't do this don't do that then you take out all of the drive and the go and the um desire from the dog and we need that accelerator and we need all of that happening first before we can put in our brakes um in many many situations so um yes basically there you go i hope that helps lucy in hertfordshire um let me know if it does and that's our training question for this week now if you have a training question for me for next time um you can email me at galady at mac.com that's g-a-l-o-d-y at m-a-c.com now i really would like to encourage you to send me a recorded um, training question remember voice memos on your iphone you can fire it up just record your question um if you can write it down first if you want and then read it out if you're a bit worried about how it's going to come out um and then send that to me in an email and that way we can play your question for everyone to hear um and it'll just be better than me reading it out because let's face it it's more interesting to hear more different voices and not just my voice all the time so that's all for this week, folks. So please remember to hit subscribe so that you get all of the episodes that I release and also to give me five stars on iTunes or whatever app you use so that I get some positive reinforcement too.